Welcome to Off the Record. I'm Paul Hodes with my co-host Matt Robeson, produced by WKXL and podcast on your favorite podcasts all over the known universe. This is the year end of 2020 for Off the Record. And, you know, 2020 has been such a challenging year. How's that for a euphemism that we decided we wanted to end the year with something fun and uh, we thought we would hold the off the record traditional year end awards. I say traditional because this is the first year we've done it and it will become a tradition in the years ahead. Here are the ground rules. First, uh, the biggest ground rule is that the answer to everything that we uh, are, are in all categories could easily be Trump for everything bad, Biden for everything good on the Democratic side, or COVID for everything both bad and noteworthy. So those answers um, will, will, will not be part of the routine awards, but we are reserving a special category of Lifetime Achievement Awards to render them ineligible for other awards. And since Robeson and I are making up all the rules, we can do whatever we want. Okay, Robeson, are you down with this? I'm ready to go, man. Uh, you, I think you get you draw the first category. I so draw the first category. All right, you and lead us out. Get to talk about it. Here we go, folks. The first category, the first nominees are for the most valuable player on the Democratic side of the aisle. The nominees are <clears throat> Bernie Sanders for bowing out at the right time and keeping the progressives on the Democratic ticket unified. Kamala Harris for promoting strong Democratic turnout and ticket unity. Jim Clyburn, who turned the course of the nomination fight with the endorsement of Joe Biden and salvaged his 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 primary hopes Nancy Pelosi the highest elected democratic official who steered the cares act and other legislation with an iron fist and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because she has more twitter followers than any human being on the planet and kept the left just all ramped up on social media. Matt, it's up to you to consider the nominees and pull out the envelope. Okay. So I, uh, so the way that, right. The way we're going to do this is um, so Paul gets to make the decision having presented the category. Oh. I yeah 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 oh no this this is up to you 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 pick the winner of your own category I am gonna I, I get to argue the case um, I, I'll 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 make the case here I'm gonna throw AOC out um, strong year from AOC she didn't do anything um, particularly flame worthy on the left which in itself is sort of a victory um, but uh, d just doesn't outshine the other nominees here. Uh, you know, I think you really have to give some cred to Nancy. Um, she got the CARES Act done. She steered Congress through an unprecedented time with the pandemic. Um, she kind of, she made it work and kept it together. Um, and, you know, look, at the end of the day, 
She's responsible for leading the Democratic caucus and getting her majority reelected. It's a slimmer majority going into 2021, but the scoreboard is the scoreboard. So um, props for that. But I think it really comes down to your first three nominees. Uh, it comes down to Sanders, Harris, uh, and Clyburn for me. I would, I, I give a strong nod to Bernie. He, he did the right thing. Uh, progressive turnout was indeed strong. Youth turnout was indeed strong. Uh, you got to give him some, some credit for that. Um, and Kamala was a very strong number two on the ticket. But I am going to argue, my, my, my pitch to you, uh, and you're the decider, my pitch to you is for Jim Clyburn. I think with a, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that he is the czar of South Carolina, but he made a very influential endorsement that turned the tide of the nomination. And at the end of the day, Donald Trump was defeated. And that is really all that matters that turns, that almost makes up for the whole crappy year. So uh, I, I, I would argue for Clyburn, but Paul, I turn it back to you. You get the envelope, you decide. Who's the winner? The envelope, please. Well, from where I sit, let's just run through very quickly. I agree with you. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the mosquito and the fly of the Democratic centrist ointment. Um, I'm throwing her out. Nancy Pelosi, uh, I got to Congress at a time when she was first elected speaker. She rules with an iron fist. She's terrific, and she's doing what she always does. So there's nothing especially unusual about her terrific contribution. Much appreciated. She's Meryl Streep, right? It's just yeah. another great performance year another, after year. Another great performance. Yeah. By the way, last night I saw The Prom. If people have not seen The Prom on Netflix, uh, it's worth seeing. Uh, she gives a great performance. So... Kamala Harris, well, she was vice president and she's a historic pick, but that's really a passive, a passive um, activity on her part, being picked uh, for being vice president. So it's hard to give her the nod. Bernie Sanders, who lives across the river. Well, for the millionaires and the billionaires who are unfortunately now out of luck because Bernie Sanders is in the in the, in, the, in the driver's seat for progressives, they can honestly say they don't want Bernie Sanders to win any kind of awards, but the people would like it. But I can't quite give Bernie the nod. As for Jim Clyburn, so truth be told, uh, I, I was a Biden supporter and I was a Biden supporter not because I thought he was the most progressive, not because I thought he was the youngest and best looking, not because I thought he had the most on the ball or the most energy. Uh, and in fact, in New Hampshire, I was tearing my hair out. Uh, I thought that uh, Joe Biden looked desultory. I thought he looked tired. I thought he did not look or feel like a winner. And I was worried. But I thought that Joe Biden, of all the people, had both the level of experience and the reputation without skeletons in his closet that I knew about um, to come across as a decent guy who understood that the soul of America was something that Americans long to have restored. And so when Jim Clyburn saved Biden's candidacy, when Jim Clyburn made Biden's candidacy possible, I saw that as a huge moment, not just for Democrats, but for the country. And the envelope is now open. 
I vote Jim Clyburn, most valuable player on the Democratic side. Wow. You know, we're going to have to skip right through Clyburn's acceptance speech. Um, You know, it's I'm sure it would have been a humdinger and we wouldn't have played the music to get him off the stage. But we got to keep moving. Let's go to the next category. And this one I've got. All right. So I am here to announce the most valuable player on the Republican side. The nominees are. Mike Pence for being a somewhat normal, rational conservative in the Trump administration and for turning in a relatively strong VP debate. Mitch McConnell, who did make all the judges happen. He cleared the decks of federal judge nominees in the U.S. Senate, including getting through Amy Coney Barrett. Susan Collins, defeating her strongest challenge ever and helping Senate Republicans, likely, likely pending Georgia, likely hold on to the Senate. We'll see. William Barr who, uh, look, I mean, he protected Trump at every turn. And then interestingly, just at the very end, prevented Republicans from going into full coup d'etat mode by saying no to a Hunter Biden special counsel or an election fraud investigation and seizing voting machines. And finally, Amy Coney Barrett, who may become the most lasting Republican achievement of 2020. Paul, the floor is yours to make a case for these Outstanding nominees. These are outstanding nominees. Every one of them very worthy. But here's my take. First of all, Amy Coney Barrett, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I uh, put aside because she was the recipient um, of a nomination. uh, And although she spent three days um, doing an excellent job of not answering a single question, I simply don't don't believe that she gets MVP for being chosen a judge. Uh, Bill Barr, well, Uh, A lot of Republicans would now argue that having turned against the president uh, in the end, he simply is disqualified from even being considered as MVP, although uh, as Trump's chief toad, he certainly did a remarkable job of of, uh, turning the Justice Department into Trump's private law firm. Uh, Susan Collins, um, Susan Collins, um, you know, yes, uh, she won uh, because she's our Susan and we love her. Um, uh, But once again, that did not have the overwhelming impact that one would expect from an MVP. Uh, Mike Pence uh, did a commendable job uh, in the VP debate and comes across as a loyal robot, but he suffered a fly uh, during the MV uh, during the vice presidential debate. And that fly incident, unfortunately knocks him out of uh, contention. Mitch McConnell, Uh, Mitch, the Undertaker McConnell, Mitch, the Grim Reaper McConnell, Mitch, the Marbles in the Mouth McConnell, Mitch McConnell, who's about as evil as you can get for a bureaucrat, probably, if for my money, is the winner of the most valuable player because he has kept the Republicans in line and he has made Donald Trump's agenda, whatever that agenda might be possible. I vote for Mitch McConnell. Well, let me take you inside the judge's chamber on this one, because I think, you know, for people who don't know, uh, Paul used to be, you were an assistant attorney general. I was assistant attorney general in the Department of Justice for the great state of New Hampshire. So you can you can see why Paul ended up sending white collar criminals to jail Um, makes a very effective case here. You know, the inside the judge's chambers, we were we were giving some thought to Mike Pence. It's, it's very hard to go with Susan Collins 
uh, strong performer, but you know, with that incomplete, I, I think she's suffering a little bit from the awards being handed out before the season is fully over. We don't know the outcome in Georgia. And if Republicans don't hold the Senate, hard to say that she's tipping the balance there. I, I gotta say, I think you have made an exceptionally strong case for Mitch McConnell, clears the decks of all the judge nominees, operates in the background, steers the Senate. Um, you know, and I, let's not forget that he faced Amy McGrath, well-funded. Uh, I think she had over $88 million deployed on her behalf and uh, he walloped her by 20 points. So um, I think he's going to be with us forever. I don't think he's ever going to die. Um, I think he's become Emperor Palpatine. He rules the Senate. And Mitch McConnell, congratulations. You are the MVP, according to Off the Record, of the Republican side for 2020. All right, Paul. Here we go. the next category. Here you go. This is one of my most favorite categories of all time. This is the most egregious action by Donald Trump Non-COVID category, remember? Non-COVID. So the nominees are, number one, firings. Within 48 hours of the Senate acquitting the president, Trump fired EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland and Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman after they testified in the president's impeachment trial and later fired federal prosecutors, as well as agency inspectors general who opposed him. Firings. Pardons and clemency, war criminals, convicted felons on his staff, and basically any Republican in prison for any reason, no matter how bad. Clearing protesters with tear gas for upside down Bible holding photo op calling uh, uh, calls pro protesters in racially loaded terms like thugs and anarchists urges police violence. Financial misdeeds, steering $600 million in campaign dollars through shell companies for his family to profit, running a racketeering operation in the White House, Rico, family mafia crime boss, and finally, election lies. The stream of pathological lying both before and after the election about voter fraud, then refusing to accept the results of the election. These are all non-COVID misdeeds by this atrocious abomination of a president. It's hard to choose, Matt. It's hard to choose. Boy, this is a year where it's just an honor to be nominated. I mean, honestly, all of these are such <laughs> strong contenders. I will say that there's a little bit of, of a thing going on here. Remember that year that the King's Speech was up for the Academy Award? And it's like, look, we all know it's going to be the King's Speech, right? Like, you know, they did the opening montage of the Oscars and everything was set to the King's Speech. So it's like, we know, we know what's probably going to happen here. I have a clear front runner in my mind. But let me just make a case. Let me just make it, first of all, an honorable mention to something that couldn't even get nominated, strong performance this year by Trump saying nothing about a plot to kidnap a sitting U.S. governor, the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitner, Whitmer, <laughs> was the subject of a, of a kidnap plot. And after it was foiled, Trump came out and said, uh, she's kind of a loser. She's like a four. I mean, what? Uh, wow. I, I mean, for that for that performance to get passed over this year really says something about the strength of these other nominees. Uh, let me just make a little case. Look, pardons and clemency for war criminals, terrible. Firings, um, subverting the, the justice system, awful. Clearing protesters, upside down photo op. Uh, I mean, getting the Bible upside down. That was sort of its own reward. Let me just make a sneaky case for one second for a dark horse contender 
which is the steering of campaign dollars to his to enrich his himself and more important in my mind in my mind more important is the raising of that $200 million slush fund to a PAC saying ostensibly it's to fight the election fraud. I'm air quoting here and our listeners can't see that, but actually going to a future looking slush fund, which will set him up to be a continuing influence in 2021 and beyond. That has the potential to keep Trump an ongoing part of our lives in a much more powerful way. That should surely be a hateful prospect to most listeners but look, at the end of the day, the King's speech here, to me, for my money, has got to be the election lies, subverting American democracy, sort of the crown jewel of philosophical thought of the last 300 years. I got to go with election lies. Paul, what do you say? Oh, the envelope, please. You know, I, I always look for occasions on which I can disagree and push back with Robeson. It's it's one of the, my fondest things because he's so smart and I'm so dumb. He speaks in logical tones and really has facts on his side. And I'm I, I just go on gut instinct. What do I know? I was a congressman um, and it was guys like Robeson who did all the work while I sat around and uh, and, and looked so pretty. So so on this one, I can make some really good arguments. The f but here's my here's my analysis. OK, before I pull out the envelopes, firings, eh, he's allowed to fire everybody and he always fires people who are disloyal. So that was no big surprise. We knew that was coming. Pardons and clemency. Well, presidents are allowed to pardon people. And you knew that he was going to have the the biggest the biggest pardon pardon party, you know, in 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 presidential history. It's a pardon party. You kill people, you're pardoned. Don't worry about it. It's Donald clearing protesters. Well, they never should have been there at the White House in the first place. And maybe it wasn't the Bible. Maybe it was a thesaurus. Maybe it was the encyclopedia with a Bible cover. Who knows? But after all, he needed a walk. So we're going to give him his 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 stroll in the sun. The campaign misdeeds, stealing all that money from his donors. Well, that's just Donald Trump. I'm sorry to disagree with Matt's strong case. That's just the kind of thing you'd expect from a mafia crime boss, family, family Rico in the White House kind of guy. What a great thing. He learned it from Steve Bannon. How do you steal money? Well, you ask people for it. They, if they're dumb enough to give it to you, it's yours. In terms of the election lies, I have to say that I can't push back on Robeson because when I read the categories, that immediately sprang to mind. In terms of long-term damage uh, that anybody could have done to our democracy, in terms of undermining and dividing the country in a way that made Comrade Putin happy, in terms of the long-term damage to the United States of America, nothing Nothing matches the stream of invective election lies that began months before the election and continues to this day. It's it's crazy time in America. And that is I pull out the envelope, the winner in the most egregious action by Donald Trump non covid category is his complete attempt to destroy American democracy. I mean, Mazel Tov, that is, that's a strong win. So look, we've got, the producers are telling me that we've got truly, our next category has to be the best animated short type thing right, of uh, our award show, because we've got three minutes. Let's make this happen. Let's make this happen. All right. All right. Most improved player. 
Most improved player. Here are the nominees. Mark Kelly, new Democratic senator from Arizona, one of two new U.S. senators to defeat an incumbent. Jamie Harrison lost the South Carolina Senate race to Lindsey Graham, but he did raise a record for funds and positioned himself perhaps for DNC chair or some other high profile future role in the party. Elise Stefanik, Republican congresswoman who defended Trump memorably in the impeachment hearing and then became a fundraising behemoth for Republicans. Pete Buttigieg turned being the mayor of a small American city, no bigger than Pawnee, Indiana, into a serious presidential campaign and now the Secretary of Transportation. And finally, a, a, a late entry into the field, Alex Padilla, first Latino senator from California, named to replace Kamala Harris, uh, expecting great things from this fast rising star on the Democratic side. Um, Paul, you get a couple of minutes to make a case before we uh, open the envelope. Go. I have exactly one and a half minutes, but I think this is a pretty easy category. I'm I'm a good I'm a big fan of Mark Kelly. I'm glad he got elected, but people get elected to the Senate all the time. And after all, he had the help of my former colleague, Gappy Gifford. So uh, that was a good win uh, in Arizona, helped with Arizona, uh, but it was a win for Senate. Jamie Harrison, I could start out by saying, well, he's a loser, but he did raise a huge amount of money, had lots of ads on television in New Hampshire and may very well turn out to be DNC chair and probably has a bright political future as he's had a bright political past. Elise Stefanik, I can't give a Republican congresswoman who defended Trump uh, much credibility for being a fundraising behemoth. That seems to have come to the territory. I'm glad Alex Padilla is the first Latino senator from California, but that's kind of a passive a bit of conduct because uh, he didn't do anything but get named. It wasn't like he really worked hard. Pete Buttigieg, on the other hand, the first uh, out of the closet gay mayor of a tiny American city, hardly even city, really a town, runs a serious presidential campaign, well-spoken, and is now Secretary of Transportation nominee. This is an American success story. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson. We've just chosen Pete Buttigieg's most improved player. We'll be back after this. We're back. It's Off the Record with Matt Robeson. I'm Paul Hodes. And this is the end of the year awards, the political awards in many, many different categories. What a great set of nominees we've had so far in the first segment. And we've got more great nominations and awards coming up for you in this segment. Matt. Take it away. No, I think I think I think you get no, you get number five. You get you get the fifth category. Here we go. Folks, the this category is a very interesting category. It's kind of like the the awards for sound and and picture and 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 makeup and costumes. This is the most interesting public opinion research story. So here are the nominees, most interesting public opinion research story category. The share of U.S. adults who've heard or read at least a little about QAnon rose from 23% in February to 47% in September, with 41% of Republicans who say QAnon is very or somewhat a good thing. Oh, my goodness. 
Next, for the first time since at least the Great Depression, a majority of young adults aged 18 to 29 in the U.S. were living with their parents this year including my daughter, who's 35, so she's out of the category. In the next category, in several countries, including the United Kingdom, the share of people with a favorable view of the United States fell in 2020 to its lowest point on record. Next, a small share of highly active Twitter users, most of whom are Democrats, produce the vast majority of tweets from U.S. adults. The most active 10% of users were responsible for 92% of tweets. Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents accounted for 69% of these highly active Twitter users. Tweet, 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 tweet. And finally... Only around a quarter of U.S. Hispanics uh, have heard of the term Latinx, and just 3% say they use it to describe themselves among Hispanics aware of the term. 65% say Latinx should not be used to describe the nation's Hispanic or Latino population, while 33% say it should. Folks, this category is really right up Robeson's alley. I'd like yeah, to hear your is, arguments. Boy, this one is tough. This one is tough. I mean, this this is this is wide open. So look, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go from the bottom up in, in my mind. So, I mean, I think it's a very interesting finding that the majority of young adults age 18 to 29 are living with their parents this year. But that's sort of a predictable consequence of a of a once in a century pandemic. Hopefully, once in a century. So. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna make a strong case for that one. The fact that the share of people abroad who have a favorable view of the US after four years of Donald Trump fell to its lowest point ever, again, interesting, not the most surprising. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make the pitch there. Um, let's get to the really tough ones. The fact that 41% of Republicans say QAnon is a very or somewhat good thing, boy, that is a strong contender for a very interesting story of the year. But for my money, it comes down to the final two. I think it's really interesting, given all of the discussion on the progressive left about all of the politically correct terminology that we have to use, especially on social media, lest we all be drummed out of polite society forevermore. I think it's very interesting that among actual Hispanics, Latinos, people of Latin American, uh, Central American descent, um, they don't like this new Latinx term. They don't think it applies to them. That's not what they themselves want to call themselves. I think that's pretty significant. And in a related vein, the fact that we, we have confirmation from polling here that Twitter is not real life. Look, we've known that, we've talked about that before. To me, that's maybe, maybe by a nose, the most interesting political story, uh, uh, at least public opinion story of 2020, this kind of under the radar thing that social media, which has been driving so much of our politics, at least on the surface, is not a true reflection of real politics felt by real people in America. It is a bubble in its own existence. Uh, I think that's a really interesting finding. But Paul, ultimately, as the presenter of the category, you hold the envelope. You get to open it and decide. What's the answer? So I'm going to start with the honorable mention, which I didn't mention the first time around, which is that around half of Americans, 49%, say the Bible should have a great deal of or some influence on the laws of the U.S. That's pretty remarkable, including 28% who say it should take precedence when it conflicts with the will of the people. That's pretty remarkable because, you know, New Hampshire is a secular, a secular state. 
but the idea that half of Americans that the Bible should have some influence on the laws of the United States, I find surprising, but not overwhelming. The fact that 41% of Republicans say QAnon is a good thing just confirms my subjective, misguided or uh, misguided opinion that the Republicans have all gone off the charts. That's not that surprising to me. I think Donald Trump won saying he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue. Nobody would take notice for the Republicans. That's still true. In terms of young adults, well, since my daughter was living uh, with us for a while, that's not that surprising. Uh, when things go down the tubes in terms of the economy, young people's um, prospects diminish and they have to save money and go home with the fallout in the economy. Young people are often the first people to take the hit. The fact that opinions fell about the United States, well, mine did. I, I expect everybody else's did. That's not a big surprise in terms of public opinion research. The fact that um, uh, the uh, Hispanic population hasn't heard of the term Latinx and doesn't really want to use it is like, okay, that's one thing or another. But the final nominee and one that I just have to agree with, with Robeson on is about Twitter because in the news, all we ever heard was Twitter. We've had a president who governed by Twitter, who announced all his decisions by Twitter. For me to learn that uh, almost the vast majority of tweets come from a very small number of people seems to me so at odds with what I expected after the influence of Donald Trump over Twitter that I had to... I have to give that as the most interesting public opinion research story that Twitter is overwhelmingly used by Democrats. I really thought it was going to be much more equal and that it's only a tiny people of people, tiny percentage of people who are tweeting. This is crazy time. How did the president do it then? But so the envelope goes to the Twitter story. All right, the producers are in my ear telling me we've got to pick up the pace. And so that is what we're going to do. I've got the next category, which is the most interesting under the radar story that you may have missed in 2020. And we have a special lean in this category towards science and technology stories. So here we go. Number one, birds colliding with turbine blades. One of the most negative effects of onshore wind farms. But according to a Norwegian study, bird strikes can be cut by up to 70% simply by painting one blade of the wind turbine black. Svenski Horsky Borgen Borgen got to paint the thing black, and then the birdies don't go into it and they don't die. Very nice. Uh, that, that was the Swedish chef, but we're talking about Norway, Paul. Norway. Okay, ever get a song stuck in your head but can't quite place it? Google has launched a new hum to search feature, allowing you to whistle, sing, or hum to discover the song. Of course, you have to be able to hum on key. Uh, number three. April 2020, Sweden became one of three European countries to cease burning coal for energy. Austria also went coal-free later that same week. And by 2025, seven more EU members are expected to eliminate coal-fired energy sources. Number four, mosquitoes, little known fact here, according to Cliff Clavin, mosquitoes are the deadliest animal known to mankind, causing over a million deaths per year. But a new mosquito control method cut dengue infections by 77%. Uh, and researchers now hope to eradicate not just dengue fever, but other virus-borne diseases like Zika and yellow fever. And finally, a San Diego researcher, UC San Diego, 
was part of an international team that's developed a blood test that can detect whether an individual has one of five common types of cancers up to four years before the condition can be diagnosed with current methods. So Paul, for a lightning quick analysis, what do you argue should be the winner in this category? All right, so here we go. I'll take it from the top. First of all, birds colliding with turbine blades, bad for birds, but paint, paint it black. This is a Rolling Stones song, paint it black. I see your red blade and I want to paint it black. Um, that's interesting. Uh, song, stuck in my, song stuck in my head, Google new hump to search. Eh, okay, that's okay. April, 2020, Sweden ceasing burning coal for energy. That's good news. But that's not the most interesting. We know how advanced those Scandinavian countries are. The last two are really, really interesting. Mosquitoes, deadliest animal known to mankind, and founding, finding a way to cut infections of dengue by 77%. That's important. But my vote, my vote goes to the last, a UC San Diego researcher, part of an international team that has developed a blood test that can detect cancer, five common types up to four years before the condition can otherwise be diagnosed. That's a game changer. I mean, that's a game changer for a human, for humankind. I vote for the new blood test for cancer as the most interesting under the radar story that I missed. I didn't, I didn't even hear about it. So I'm glad to know about it. That's my vote. Well, the, uh, the judges have opened up the envelopes and I am happy to announce that we have a surprise. We have a surprise winner in this category. Uh, the judges have selected the mosquitoes on the theory that mosquitoes are the deadliest animal. Mosquito-borne diseases kill the most people worldwide. Um, especially in poor sub-Saharan African countries. And so just edging out the cancer research, we have the mosquito research, which has great life-saving potential. All right, on the theme of good news and good findings, Paul, you've got the next category. The nominees for best piece of good news in an otherwise crap storm of a year are as follows. Africa was declared free from wild-type polio, which once paralyzed some 75,000 children in Africa annually. The director general of the World Health Organization described the declaration as, quote, one of the greatest public health achievements of our time, unquote. Next, 90% of new electricity generation in 2020 will be renewable, with just 10% powered by emissions emitting fossil fuels, gas, and coal, unbelievable growth figures from major countries like India, China, the U.S., even as economies struggle with COVID-19, worldwide growth in renewable energy will reach 7% by the end of 2020. And that's even before Joe Biden gets to work with a new energy policy and helps bring the world together around renewable energy. Next, the terrible killing of George Floyd led to an outpouring of multiracial protest and reflection and record support for reforms to promote equality and protect black lives. Absolutely a turning point for many Americans. Next, a record number of Americans turned out to vote in our national election even in a pandemic, even under the threat of violence and intimidation, a record number of votes helped keep our democracy for us folks. And finally, in this category of best piece of good news, the Supreme Court ruled 
that no one can be fired for being gay or transgender. This coming from a conservative Supreme Court holding up the notion of equality in America. So, Matt, what are your thoughts? And then we'll see. I think that this is a great passel of good news. Good news that you might not have thought about in the midst of 2020. Look, I, I, I love the ruling on equality. Um, I love the outpouring of multi, multiracial support um, as part of the post-George Floyd killing protests. I think that that's a, that's a positive and hopeful sign. Um, and the turnout, uh, also a great sign. But to me, to me, uh, and I love as much as I love the earth, I, I like to visit often and I like the growth in renewable energy. With all four of those, I'd like to see more. I'd like to see what ultimately comes out of it in 2021 and beyond. For me, the lasting change is the eradication of polio in Africa. It's the most immediate uh, 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 boon to people's lives, saving the lives of some 75,000 children a year. That would get my vote. But, Paul, you're the judge. You deliver the verdict. Uh, <clears throat> All right. So in no particular order and hoping that I haven't completely lost time of the track of the time in this segment. Well, we've got about eight minutes. So, so right, we we're still in lightning mode, man. Lightning mode. I'd say that the Supreme Court ruling is important for equality in America, uh, but not earth shaking. I'd say a record number of Americans turning out to vote is really important and a good sign for our democracy. I'd say the outpouring of reflection uh, after George Floyd is also important for our democracy. But all three of those are limited to what's going on in America. So now we have two important uh, categories, both of which uh, are deal with international events. And for me, I am really um, delighted in terms of good news stories that Africa was declared free from wild type polio, which means that huge numbers of children in Africa annually will not be paralyzed. But for me, the long-term implications for our planet, which affects every single human on the planet of a surge of, uh, in, a in renewable energy, in 2020, despite the recalcitrance and obstruction of the Trump administration, where, where the United States should be leading the world, the fact that there is such a surge in new electricity generation by renewable means and what it means for the future of the planet is really good news. It's a hopeful sign in an otherwise dismal year uh, and one which has huge implications uh, for uh, our survival as a species. I've got to give it to the news about renewable energy. All right, let's close it out with finally, who won the year? The biggest category of the day. All right, here are the nominees. Kamala Harris, who not only uh, is the first woman, the first person of African-American and South Asian descent to occupy the office of the vice presidency, but also the first U.S. vice president whose name can be rearranged to spell I alarm a shark. Mitch McConnell, uh, we've previously discussed um, his uh, incredible 
power over the U.S. Senate, which will persist. Jeff Bezos, who in the midst of a pandemic-driven economy, saw his Amazon empire grow to net revenue of almost $100 billion in the third quarter of 2020. Mackenzie Scott, the estranged wife of Jeff Bezos, who gave away $4 billion to various charitable causes at the tail end of 2020 in an act of uh, tremendous uh, selflessness. And finally, Jennifer Doudna, the researcher who won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry this year for her discovery of the CRISPR-Cas9 technology, which is expected to deliver life-saving therapies in the future. Those are your nominees for who won the year. Paul, make the case. Final category before we get to predictions. So let's not also forget the honorable mentions. Jacinda Ahern uh, from uh, New Zealand, who... Uh, uh, I believe she's the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, who uh, basically helped New Zealand uh, completely contain COVID, and LeBron James, the basketball player, and he's on the list because Matt loves basketball. I can't understand why, why else he might even deserve an honorable mention. Well, that's, a, that's a whole other discussion, but he, he definitely raised himself in an athletic echelon there. Don't forget, by the way, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle for their um, exit or whatever you call it, which they managed to accomplish without being beheaded. So kudos to them. So here we go. Jennifer Dudna, good for her. Great. Uh, we're, we're really glad about the, uh, no, the Nobel Prize. Mackenzie Scott, what an example of selflessness from a billionaire to actually give money away. Jeff Bezos for perhaps being the greediest person on the planet. Mitch McConnell uh, for being one of the uh, most marble-mouthed but influential uh, uh, Senate leaders ruling with an iron fist uh, and marbles in his mouth, and Kamala Harris for for a true a true groundbreaking uh, nomination uh, as the uh, first uh, uh, person of Asian descent to be um, nominated, and uh, now having won uh, the vice presidency, the first African American. Uh, to rise to vice president um, and the first woman to be a uh, vice president. I, um, I, I would make a strong pitch that Kamala Harris um, shining a light uh, on our democracy and making real progress despite all the other achievements of the other people is uh, the winner this year. Um, I think uh, it's a it's a it's a startling it's startling and has not and has not received as much uh, news and press as it should in this in this challenging year. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, and I, I would say in terms of rendering a final verdict here, don't undersell the sleeper dark horse in this category, Jennifer Doudna, the CRISPR-Cas9 technology is truly a game changer that I have a sneaking suspicion. If we do this show as a look back in 20 years, in 2040, if we're all still around, um, we may well look at her achievement as the most significant thing. But for now, that's speculative. Can't disagree that Kamala Harris won the year 2020. I know that's not much of a prize, but for off the record, winning the year is a big prize. All right, Paul, I've got it as we've got like two minutes left for us each to make some predictions that are sure to go wrong for 2021. Do you want to go first or should I go first? Uh, uh, you go first, then I'll go. 
I hereby predict, these are predictions that are sure to go wrong. I hereby predict that the U.S. will once again undergo a stunning GDP growth rate in Q3 and Q4 um, as all of our pent-up savings and demand get expressed in the latter half of 2021. GDP growth in excess of 15% annualized in both of those quarters. I also predict uh, on the bad news front that we will not re-flatten the curve of COVID, um, unfortunately, despite the vaccine, um, to the levels that we saw in the post-September 3rd uh, timeframe until that same time frame in 2021. I think that that is going to be an uphill climb, even with the vaccine coming in. Your predictions? I predict that Joe Biden's leadership uh, on uh, renewable energy and climate change will galvanize the world, uh, including uh, our adversaries in the common goal of uh, uh, combating climate change and uh, saving uh, the planet. In the bad news category, I predict that um, somehow Donald Trump will evade uh, prosecution for any of his federal crimes. We're going to see you in 2021 for more Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson. <laughs>